This is Where We Meet, sharing conversations from New Mexico and beyond. I'm Chelsea Reedy, and the show is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Taos Center for the Arts would like to recognize that it operates on the homelands of the Red Willow people of Taos Pueblo. We'd like to honor the ongoing dedication and importance of Native and Indigenous cultures within our community and within the land we live, learn, and exist on. On today's show, we speak with Dr. Ivan Deutsch, director of the Center for Quantum Information and Control at the University of New Mexico, about his background in physics, the second quantum revolution, and the establishment of New Mexico as a quantum state. So discussing quantum physics for a show based in the humanities, how does that work? Well, both physics and humanities interpret the physical reality to describe and see the world. Quantum physics describes the world of the very small, like atoms, electrons, and light. Dr. John C. Mather, 2006 Nobel Laureate in Physics, describes physics research as research that, quote, underlies the progress in almost every area of science, from chemistry to biology to electronics to medicine. And physicists defined the HTML code for the internet as we know it. You want to see tumors in your body? Try tools from physics. You want to see better? Try laser surgery using the math that astronomers invented to see better on the ground and in space. You want to see oil reserves underground? Use sound waves and the math that physicists invented. End quote. Signed in 2018, the National Quantum Initiative Act calls for a coordinated federal program to accelerate quantum research and development for the economic and national security of the United States. The legislation authorizes the Department of Energy and the National Science Foundation to create new research centers at universities, federal laboratories, and nonprofit research institutes. These research hubs would aim to build alliances between physicists doing fundamental research, engineers who can build devices, and computer scientists developing quantum algorithms. As a result of this initiative, the University of New Mexico, Los Alamos National Laboratory, and Sandia National Laboratories, in collaboration with other colleges, businesses, labs, and nonprofit organizations operating in New Mexico, have established the Quantum New Mexico Coalition. This coalition is seeking to unify resources across the state around research, workplace and economic development, and other infrastructure activities. The conversation today with Ivan Deutsch, director of Center for Quantum Information and Control, introduces us to the scope and possibilities within quantum physics and information science. Here's the conversation. Your background is in atomic physics and optical physics, and you've been teaching at the University of New Mexico for over 25 years and are now the director of the Center for Quantum Information and Control. I wonder, though, if we can just start by you describing how you came to the sciences and when you realized that you would have a career in the field. Oh, that's very interesting. So it isn't kind of interesting. It's interesting to talk to you as someone from the Taos Center for the Arts, because as a child, I wanted to be an artist. Uh, and my dream was to be a Disney cartoonist. And I um, loved to draw as a kid and do art projects, that was my love as a child. And as over time, I realized and developed a math aptitude that I didn't know I had until around eighth grade. I was not really into school as, a, as an elementary school kid. And I discovered geometry in eighth grade and 
then I, I would then I thought, well, maybe I want to be an architect because it was like art and geometry and that kind of thing. But over time, I got deeper and deeper into, you know, I discovered physics. And I loved the first time I had physics was, you know, I don't know, sometime in junior high school. And and I and I fell in love with it. I, you know, developed was really gotten. I just loved physics and the way in which mathematical reasoning you know, enabled us to understand the natural world. And it was just, you know, it was a different kind of art, you know, doing, I'm better at equations than I am at English. Uh, (laughs) And so got into that more. And I applied to college at MIT not that was a long shot and I got in and um, I thought I would be an engineer because what else do you do with this as a career? But um, I just fell in love with physics and that's sort of the, the genesis of, of it all. So yeah, I'm the director of, of what we call, we, we call it CQIC, runs with BISQIC. It's the Center for Quantum Information Control. And As you say, it's really a center that tries to move forward research in the developing field of quantum information science, which is a pretty hot topic these days. It wasn't when we got started, but now it's a big deal. And how did it become a big deal? Um, It became a big deal because I'll tell you what it's about, and then I'll tell you why it became a big deal. So, well, first of all, it's that there are two important words, quantum and information. Let me start backwards. Let me start with information. Now, we all know about, or at least at some level, know about the, the digital age information technology, whether that be computers, uh, whether that be the Internet, uh, cybersecurity uh, is all about processing and communicating information. And that is the heart of the modern era in which we live in. You know, information science as a discipline was born in the last century, you know, around the 1930s, 40s, uh, and, you know, that whole, the, even the word bit didn't exist until then. A zero and one, you know, that's a yes or a no. And that's the digital, that is different, two possibilities is digitizing. Um, and we, the ability to do that processing information electronically and with over fiber optics and all of that was, you know, a major revolution uh, in the whole development of human society. And it was enabled by certain physics, right? So the development of the laser, the development of the transistor, silicon chips, all of that was a kind of infrastructure which enabled 
us to be able, there's a kind of abstract mathematical idea of the bit and the mathematics of that, but to realize it involves physics. So, okay, so that's, you know, what we call quantum 1.0, the laser, the transistor. Now, the other word, quantum, what the heck is that about? You know, quantum information is a kind of marriage between two of the great pillars of the 20th century, information science and quantum physics. So what the heck is that about? Well, quantum physics was developed in the early 20th century, 1920, you know, teens, 20s, 30s, as the physics that described the microscopic world, the world of atoms the world of particles of light, photons. Uh, and um, that world is crazy. That world is spooky. It has completely non-intuitive phenomena that we don't, to this day, have a good language to explain or fully understand. Um, so, you know, the idea that a particle can be in two places at the same time and that a particle over here is somehow entangled or affects a particle over there, even if they're separated on the other sides of the galaxy. And there's all kinds of paradoxes. Like you may have heard of Schrodinger's cat. It's a famous paradox. Schrodinger was one of the founders of quantum physics in the 1920s and he created this paradox or a cat might could be alive and dead at the same time and what did that mean these are thought experiments no cats were harmed in the making of this podcast anyway um and so you know physicists were they were it was like mind bending for them in the early in the 1920s a century ago and kind of put it aside. It's like, okay, that's the way the world is. But in, uh, you know, about the 1960s, 70s and 80s, physicists kind of returned to these questions again. And when they did, not only did, so that's what got me into the field. I was interested, I wanted to understand quantum physics, but something incredible happened in the 1980s and 1990s, where we came to understand that these strange and bizarre properties of the microscopic world actually might enable us to process information in completely new ways, ways that were way more powerful than, than what if the device obeys what we call classical physics, the physics of Newton, of just clockwork universe. And we could hack into computers instantly and we could protect them from hacking and we could solve problems like, you know, um, how we might uh, route airlines or 
do, do drug design in new ways and uh, approach materials for developing all kinds of things. So the idea of quantum information grew in the 1990s. That was the time I came to UNM. And um, it's, it's now a big deal because there's a race. There's a race to kind of develop this in technology and there's a race in defense because of the ability, you know, its implications for cybersecurity and other things. So are you saying like as our world and our daily lives and our societies and the structures of those are all based on just information moving very quickly in all the places is that quantum, because that has happened um, and is happening even faster and faster, um, and then quantum information science is really looking at, okay, how do we just like, how do we deal with this information differently? And how do we even become more powerful and faster and, and, and more complicated with it? Is that a way to put that? That's, that's essentially correct. I mean, it's about both dealing with the way in which we move information around, we communicate and do so securely. And also about how we more efficiently use computers to solve problems. Uh, so computers are, you know, simulating physical systems. They are doing modeling, like climate modeling. They are helping us route airlines and do manufacturing. They're doing finance. They're, you know, doing, you know, so yeah, computers got faster and faster for a while, but then they kind of stopped because they couldn't really get any faster. But we can make computers exponentially faster for certain problems, not for other things, by harnessing the power of the microscopic world, the quantum world. As, as young people, we fall in love with whatever it is. It might be sports. Um, and let's just take sports and arts as, a, as an example. And then um, maybe we really pursue that through our coming up years and our school-aged years, uh, either arts and sports. But then we kind of get into the real world and, and not everybody can be a professional paid athlete. Not everybody, uh, most people cannot make money from their art. I wonder when it comes to like going into the into the sciences and engineering and math can do you find instances where students have fallen in love with this but really actually aren't good at it and then really can't have a career in that is that does it work that same way is that a good analogy <laughs> There's various kinds of careers which make living in STEM right in science technology education, engineering, math. Um, and the sort of dream for most people who fall in love with it, with it is to be an independent researcher, to be able to pursue whatever research topics are of interest to you and uh, not, you know, be a cog in the wheel, so to speak. I think for many people, that's the dream. And I'm living the dream. And, uh, and not everyone gets the opportunity to do it. It's a privilege. It's a complete privilege. But every privilege comes with costs, 
Nothing is for free. And, you know, it's kind of like trying to be, uh, you know, an actor in L.A. You get the script. It may not be the script you want, but if you want to do it, you go with it. And I did not want to move to New Mexico. Interesting. Why? Why not? Well, I grew up in New York and I had always lived in big cities and I was a big city guy. And um, and New Mexico, while beautiful, was not the kind was didn't resonate with me in this exactly the, the same way. The beauty of it did. And but, you know, this is the opportunity I had. And so I took it. And um, and I don't regret it at all. And now I, I'm in love with New Mexico. I fall in love with New Mexico. I met my partner here. And, you know, he and I uh, have a wonderful life. And uh, I couldn't imagine being somewhere else. So interesting. In that way, kind of the sciences, when we think about how do you have a career in, in this thing that you love? It, it's kind of like any of uh, anything, any other field in that there, um, you get lucky, you're talented and yeah, opportunities, you fall into opportunities. And it's about certain amount of talent, but there's a whole lot of luck involved and choices that work out sometimes. And so in like, let's say, let's take students that are, um, that are in this field that are that are studying at the at the Center for Quantum Information and Control. Um, what are students researching and and doing while they're there? And then also, what like could you give an example of a let's say a job that one would find uh, upon graduating or upon continuing from the program? So you know, students are doing research at all levels. Some are doing like a senior thesis, some might be master's students, some might be doing a, a PhD dissertation. Gotcha. Um, I work mostly with graduate students, but not exclusively. And students are doing a whole bunch of things. Some people are working in the laboratory. I'm a theoretical physicist. Can we break that down? Really theory versus laboratory and, and really what those two realms mean and- Sure. I'm happy to. So, I mean, this is our, our sort of standard tribal division in physics. There are people who are working more thinking with about the mathematical modeling and, and uh, working more with the mathematics and using computer modeling to, to think about the physical world. And then there are people who are working in an actual laboratory with equipment doing experiments to test out these ideas and to discover new things. So let me give you an example. So the kind of physics that, as you said, I'm traditionally trained as an optics, in quantum optics and atomic physics, although my work is more in quantum information theory in recent years. Mm -hmm. But I work with people who do laboratory experiments with atoms and photons. So what do they do? Well, they have a, a lab which, you know, is a big, typically in the basement because 
You don't want things to vibrate. You want it to be on rock solid ground. It's got to be isolated from everything so that it can be very precise. And it's got a big metal table where you can screw on little mounts and it's got lenses and mirrors and lasers go and they bounce around this thing. And then there's like a glass cell that has a gas in it. Typically some element like cesium or rubidium or some of these things you may remember the periodic table, the first column has all these elements in it. And then you shine and you have a little piece of this metal and it evaporates and the gas comes out. And then you have just a few atoms in there and then you shoot, shine light on them and they emit light. And by manipulate, we can manipulate individual atoms with light. And we can actually pinch an atom with a laser beam, which is called an optical tweezer, and hold one atom in place. It's incredible. One atom. And we can make it. Now, atoms fly around so fast. It's, it's almost impossible to do that until you slow them down. And you can slow them down actually with light, something called optical molasses. It's like a sticky substance that drags the atom. I mean, this is crazy stuff, but it's beautiful. So the laboratory folks are, are doing these kinds of things. The theory folks like you are thinking and writing equations and coming up with ideas. And, and then that will be eventually, hopefully tested in some way. Is that the good way to describe that? that that's correct. Now, if the division is not that strict, the people okay. in the lab do equations too, and uh, they know all about it, and we collaborate. So, you know, I have partners, we, we discuss experiments together, we discuss what we want to do. So, you know, some of the things that a theorist might do is to help develop the mathematical models that describe what's going on in the experiment to help improve the experiment. For example, that's one thing we might do. Sometimes it's just a completely new idea uh, that really is maybe not even well formulated yet to be an experiment that might happen at a later date. And so you were describing kind of students and, and about to, I think, give an example of, of what kind of like a job that they would get. <laughs> sure. So two things. So the students, you know, what do they do? They're, they're the ones at the forefront of the research. So I work with what are called research assistants. But my job is to often... You know, I might have some ideas and I'll get them started on a project so that they'll be working on, you know, developing this experiment or they might be doing the experiment. They might be building the experiment, making it work, taking the data, analyzing the data uh, and collaborating. Uh, but, you know, I might start them off, but ultimately they develop new ideas and they move and, and they're the ones often that are really at the forefront of pushing science forward are, are the students. Now, what do they do when they graduate? Well, it depends what their track is. If they want to be professors, then there's a kind of track they have. There are postdoctoral researchers, and then they, you know, 
try to apply to become an academic. For many people, that's a dream job, but not everybody. Um, some people might uh, work in a national laboratory. <laughs> so, you know, there are places here in New Mexico, like Sandia National Labs or Los Alamos National Labs, uh, which have science in this area, which do quantum information science. Some people might work in industry. So there are lots of new companies that are trying to build quantum computers. And so they may get a job in research and development for Google or for, you know, a startup company. Um, and some of them do other things. Uh, some of them uh, go into become patent lawyers or go into finance. Uh, and some of them become high school teachers sometimes. Uh, so there are different things. Interesting. So this past April, the inaugural Quantum New Mexico Symposium was held at the Uni University of New Mexico. And um, part of what I came across is that this symposium established New Mexico as a quantum state. Now, I, I, this might be not a big deal, but what does that actually mean, establishing New Mexico as a quantum state? Does this mean that, hey, New Mexico is really kind of at the forefront, at the center of developing uh, or, you know, ha the people come here to, to study this and work in it and then go off? Or what does that mean? Yeah. So, firstly, it's a little bit of a play on words for uh, um, those who know it. So, the term quantum state is a kind of technical term in quantum physics. Uh, and it's like a state of matter, like a gap, you know, so it's a kind of joke inside joke for those who know it, but it also is meant to mean, as you say, that New Mexico is um, at the forefront. Actually, it's a pioneer. I mean, the work, the work that, so in 2018, uh, the, the, the Congress passed and it was signed the National Quantum Initiative Act to try to push forward this field because it's seen as a critical area of technology for the United States. And there's movement all over the country to try to grow workforce development and, and the industry in this area because of its importance. And New Mexico helped create this field. Uh, with work at UNM and at the National Laboratories in particular. Los Alamos early on, Sandia a little bit later. So we are a quantum state. We're, this, we're a state that has the, you know, we, the expertise, the um, infrastructure, the institutions to really help realize the dreams of the of the National Quantum Initiative. Thank you to Ivan Deutsch for sharing a bit about the mapping of the physical world through quantum physics. Where We Meet comes from Taos Center for the Arts in Taos, New Mexico, and is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Producers include Colette LaBeouf, Chelsea Reedy, Alice Morion, Ariana Cubillos-Fogler, and Joshua Aragon. Research and writing by Jacqueline Paul. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. 
On Where We Meet, we share conversations from New Mexico and beyond. Thank you for listening. Be well.